welcome to Ars Arcanum, an exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere. I'm Nora, I'm joined by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. And Autumn. I'm Autumn. Who was desperately trying to quietly set their coffee mug down after I started talking. Fine, I'll slurp. I don't fucking care. I can't believe you're disrespecting this tome. <laughs> oh, before we started, I wanted to talk about um, the French version of Lantris. Okay. okay. <laughs> they changed some of the character names. Okay. okay. He's Duke Royale with cheese. What does... You... Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you also uh, discovered recently that Jindo is a word in the Wheel of Time. I think that's true. I need to... Uh... That seems... Uh, I... Wow. If, if that's true, that's... Yes. That's embarrassing. <laughs> It's <laughs> it doesn't have the capital D, but it is um I'm just gonna read the first sentence here is a sept of the Tardad Aiel. So whatever that means <laughs> We'll know someday. We'll know someday. Um That's just a word from Wheel of Time. Yeah. <laughs> that's I can Jeez. You can't just do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just do that. Like I, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna write a fantasy series and put something called Stormlight in it. You know, like <laughs> if you hyphenate it, it's different though. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put Storm hyphen Light, which is like capital S capital L. Yeah, Stormlight. That's <laughs> <It was> funny, <laughs> Mr. Giorn. I want to know if, like, Jindo is, like, an important word, or if it's just, like, a word that came up once or twice. I'm not going to look into it to find out. Yeah, me neither. Anybody read anything? Not really. I read a couple comics. I've been kind of, like, bouncing around between a couple different comics, and, like, the two big ones, uh, uh, Gotham Central and Magic Knight Ray Earth, I have different podcasts to talk about, so... Yeah, I, I really didn't read anything. Um, you know, I just continued a bit with Blind Sight, and I don't really have anything new to say about it. Um, I'm still having a ton of fun with it. It is still very early 2000s all the time, and sometimes it's a little embarrassing to read, but that happens. <laughs> the only book I've read any of is uh, Force and Destiny, the Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars tabletop RPG. Okay. So, any, any thoughts about that, or? I mean... Not on this podcast. Yeah, I was about to say, isn't that, uh... <laughs> That's another, uh, another podcast in the future. Um, yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. I, I know we didn't talk about it on Arcanum. That was an export where we talked about going to the bookstore last week. Yeah. Because that was after we recorded. Yeah. I picked up some books... But all the books that I got at the bookstore are books that I had read but just wanted to have on the shelf. So I'm uh yeah. I'm I'm gonna buy a, a comic book from my local comic book store soon, which I'm really excited for because um uh a new book in this long running indie comic series that I really love called Finder has come out. Uh the book is called Oh Oh, you like Finder? I have not read a ton of it. I have um the Finder Library Omnibus. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's there's two of those, and and they're both good shit. I I, I also own both of those. Um, um, I think I bought it like ages and ages ago, and I read the first couple stories in there on your recommendation. Um, like 
literally like a year or two after I had bought it because um, <laughs> I kind of like bought about bought it and forgot about it. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize like, yeah, I didn't realize that she was still like making anything in there. Yeah, That's exciting. yeah. I mean, it's it's you know it's pretty like her 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 rate of putting out new books is pretty slow. Um, I think understandably mm-hmm. because she is an independent comics artist and she draws some pretty detailed art. Um, yeah. But yeah, since the, there, there exist, I want to say three finder books that are not in the two big omnibuses. There's, mm-hmm. um, I want to say, let's see, finder voice. Uh, there's finder third world. And the most recent one chase the lady um and chase the lady is the one that i'm excited to pick up soon uh and part of why i'm excited slash like anxious about it is that um i know the guy who owns the comic book store because i work i work now on a coffee shop that is on the same street as the comic book store and he comes in all the time um (laughs) so (laughs) like when i called the store and i was like i want to pick up this comic book i was like by the way i'm mark the barista (laughs) um i I get a discount there uh much as he gets a discount he gets a discount at my coffee shop um the benefit the benefits i guess of working at local businesses um you know it's a land of contrast he is like an old man who owns a comic book shop um so he's annoying in much the ways that that implies um Mm -hmm. also in a few other ways uh i mean in the way that like a regular who like expects you to understand that they're a regular could be annoying if that makes any sense oh it makes a lot of sense to me i don't know like (laughs) listeners might not be familiar with this but i know this (laughs) (laughs) yeah he uh he orders a um a a single shot Iced Americano in 20 ounces of cold water. Oh. That is too little coffee. <laughs> it's just a little whisper of coffee on a tall <laughs> glass of water. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's fine. He enjoys it, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it is like every time I make it, I'm like, what is this drink? <laughs> um... Should we talk about Elantris? Yeah. Yeah, all right. We made it. We made it through Act 2. <laughs> a lot of people I know are finishing up Act 2 this week. <sighs> what? It's a Homestuck joke. Because um... people are reading Homestuck. If if I end up reading Homestuck... Talk about I guess it on we'll this talk podcast. About it. Yes. I guess we'll oh, get yes, to yes, it here. Yes, I don't know. yes, I guess yes. This is... <laughs> I, read, I guess this is like the po- place where I would talk about Homestuck if I end up reading it. I read the first act last year, two years ago, and never picked it back up. Uh, I it might gets better. Go listen to Molly's podcast about it. That's probably the best way. That's yeah, Molly's podcast. Let me tell you about Homestuck, which is basically a, a whole Homestuck audiobook. Uh, is mm-hmm. great. It's maybe slightly confusing because they did it like multiple times. And only yeah, I had to I had to ask her like, okay, if I wanted to listen to the podcast, like, what is the best way to do that? <laughs> yeah, uh, I um, I think I've listened to all of Let Me Tell You About Homestuck that exists, but probably is there just one track of it where they did the whole thing? Is that true? 
or there's so she, I think she said that there's one track that like does everything from act three onward um and so then you can just listen to one of the other tracks to get the first two acts yeah but also I've read acts one and two twice so like I don't need that. is act two comparable to act one no act it's... two is a little better but in length mm, uh, I don't know I'm pretty act one was quite reasonable in length I'm Okay, I'd have to look this up to be totally positive, but I believe that Act 2 is longer than Act 1, and Act 3 is significantly longer than both of those, and it just, that trend just continues. Um, Act 3 is, like, where Homestuck becomes Homestuck in my mind. Like, Um, basically, like, Act 1 is very, I don't know, it's, it's short, and it's very different from a lot of the stuff that follows, and... So I think that in some ways, reading Act 1 and being like, well, I don't really know if I like Homestuck is a little bit like watching one of those TV shows that only kind of finds its its sea legs after like episode 8. Watching like the first episode of that and being like, well, I don't really think I like this TV show, you know? Um, but, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to go read the first yeah. three acts of Homestuck. I'm just saying that if you read Act 1 and you didn't like it, that actually doesn't necessarily imply that you wouldn't enjoy the rest of it that's all Mm -hmm. yeah this is how i feel about it where um i read through the start of act six and i really there is a part of me that still really likes homestuck um but yeah act act one and two is just like not what homestuck is but it also is like very important in a way that you like can't skip it because it really fucking matters yeah but it's not like what homestuck is yeah you know that's definitely all true Uh, my position with homestuck oh sorry didn't mean to cut you off nora uh, i was gonna say if i read all of order of the stick and 8-bit theater i think i have it in me to read homestuck i would agree yes yeah Yeah, i mean like i've read all of homestuck (laughs) including the epilogues, and I gave Homestuck 2 an honest try, but I did give up on that. And, like, I still really like a lot of Homestuck, and I'm really excited for people to be, like, talking about it. Um, Like, that is, Mm -hmm. that is very exciting for me, for people whose, like, whose, like, critical takes I find interesting in the year 2021 to be talking about Homestuck, you know? Um, and especially, I think, for people to be talking about Homestuck critically in a way that isn't about which of these characters do I like and which of these characters do I, like, personally detest. And yeah. is Homestuck good because it helped me personally realize that I'm gay when I was, you know, 16? Right. Or is Homestuck evil <clears throat> because it's it had a lot of stuff in it that really upset me? Like, I I'm very glad that... Homestuck is ended, and we're now at a cultural remove where I can reread Homestuck without thinking about, like, all the fans that I knew that, like, were personally annoying to me. Like, oh, that motherfucker, like, you know, said that shit at uh, that con to me one time. Like, I'm glad that I can just, like, like, Homestuck is now just a, like, piece of art that exists again. It is not this, like, ongoing concern and it is not this like ordeal because um like the fans were so 
like involved with like what the actual like work was you know yeah yeah and and like i do think that you know the kind of um perspective on a piece of art that i was just describing where it's all about either strongly identifying with the characters and with the work and like championing it or hating the characters or the work and like you know trying to cancel it um people still do that for a lot of things um like, my understanding is that that's one of the things that, uh, Nora, that you find kind of frustrating about, like, Locke's Tomb fandom, right? Is that, like, it's all about people loving and, like, kinning and shipping the characters, and there's not a lot of discussion about, like, what the books seem to be saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am very excited to hear some people talk about what they think Homestuck is actually saying or, like, doing structurally and thematically. Um I'm sure that's a thing that is a that is something that will change drastically over the course of its creation too. Oh yeah, no, one hundred percent. Like, uh, absolutely, Homestuck is not something where like a lot of it was actually planned mm-hmm. out. Um. <laughs> I I enjoy internet content. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Um, so. <laughs> understand the actual meaningful thing that you're saying there but could you clarify a little (laughs) because order of the stick and ape theater are also this but ruby is this too yeah okay but can you long hmm? sorry sorry go on a long-running thing sort of steered by one or few people with like maybe not a clear idea of where it's going at the end but um, just watching the creative process change over time and watch the tracks be- being built in front of the train and seeing, like, the nature of the thing change over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but both, like, linearly and just by a function of, like, its own context with itself. Like, Ruby is, like, six different shows. Yeah. Ruby, I would say three. Ruby is three different shows. Yeah. I honestly Um, think that you should read Homestuck then, because not only is Homestuck absolutely what you just described, but Homestuck also did that to the rest of the internet. Like, (laughs) like, as, as Homestuck itself, like, developed and changed into, like, a very different thing than it was at the start, and, like, Hussey responded to the things that his fans were doing and saying and like uh you know as you were saying kind of like built the tracks um ahead of them as they went uh like at the same time there was like a dynamic process because homestuck was affecting the internet and like fandom culture so strongly like in some sense the idea of quote-unquote fandom culture I don't know if people would be using the word fandom the way that they use it today if Homestuck hadn't existed. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a word that I remember from before Homestuck, but like Homestuck has just like totally reshaped like what fandom was. Yeah. I felt like. And and so like you will not only see if you read Homestuck the the tracks being built ahead of Homestuck the webcomic, but also the tracks being built ahead of like you know, certain segments of online internet culture. Um. Mm-hmm. um this is like i called it internet content because like a lot of more corporate traditional long-form stuff is still like controlled by 
either like a committee or like some executives or mm-hmm. like somebody who has money invested and therefore wants a plan in place. Ex- with the exception of Star Wars, literally, I'd say it is kind of funny that Star Wars is being the thing you're talking about because no one knew what Star Wars was until the movies were out. You're kind of talking but, about like uh, works that arise out of internet culture in some kind of way because they are mm-hmm. made by people who are like engaged with internet culture and who are responding to it, like yeah. Digimon Tamers. No, <laughs> but um, you know. I don't see very many TV shows or streaming shows responding or in in much dialogue with the audience in the same way. Yeah, I don't imagine She-Ra as like being impacted by what the fandom is. Well, or or if it is, (laughs) it would be more broad strokes than what I'm thinking of. I don't. I mean, I also have only seen two seasons of She-Ra, so I've watched all of She-Ra. I would say that it was interesting at times fun not amazing um but like this is complicated because in some ways i think that all media is kind of what you're saying where like uh, that kind of corporate control that you're talking about is also trying to like respond all the time to audience Mm -hmm. interests it's just that like the way that uh media that is like trying to get its metrics up as high as it possibly can um, does that. It's very different than the way that, like, uh, some, like, weirdo with Toby Fox living in his basement is going to do that. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Toby what? Fox lived in Andrew Hussey's basement, I believe, while he was making Undertale. Like, I think that's where Toby Fox was living. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know that part. <laughs> like, consensually? Or... <laughs> yes! Yes, they were. I don't know. You didn't didn't kidnap and imprison Toby Fox. No, they had a working relationship. Toby Fox, like, worked on Homestuck. I I knew he worked on Homestuck. I just assumed he was, like, you know, putting files in Dropbox. And, you know, he could have also done that. I I don't know. I I think that they're... I would assume that, like, most of the collaborations involved in Homestuck, yes, it did start as, like, an online thing. It's just that, you know, I guess... I don't know the details here, but I would assume that at some point Toby Fox needed a place to live and Andrew Hussey put him up, you know? Mm-hmm. It definitely wasn't a kidnapping situation. Elantris? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, all right. This is, you <laughs> the fun time is over. Speaking of, like, media, lo- long-running media that may or may not have a plan and that is... <laughs> Maybe made by a corporate organization and or maybe made by one weirdo. Like, this isn't a weird position with that because uh, Brandon is one guy and... That turned into a corporation at some point. Yes. Like, you can... (laughs) We're going to watch Brandon become, like, a corporation in real time. He actually talked about... I was watching this interview he had with Daniel Green. Uh Uh-huh. And he talked about becoming an author is like starting a small business. Uh-huh. Because at first you're just, oh, I'm going to write, and then I'll send this out, and other people will read it. Mm-hmm. But then that becomes, now I have to split my time, I'm writing, but then I'll also have to go convince people to read what I wrote. Yes. And convince people to sell what I wrote. Yes. And like, yeah, and that, it's a whole thing. Yeah. But, but it also, right now, also, in this moment, <laughs> 
He is still kind of just one weirdo. <laughs> right now, he is still just loading the book into the machine, uh-huh. and then the machine spits it onto the shelf. Chapter 52. Galadon stitches the cut that Raiden got from fencing with Serene as they reside in the rooms provided by Royal. Kalu tries to reveal his spirit identity to Serene, but is unable to do so privately. Kalu, in his doula role, is able to join noble circles, but wants to infiltrate his former cabal as well, where all the important decisions are really made. Royal sells some lamp mounts on behalf of Kalu, uh, and sets up a bank account for his funds, uh, and allows Kalu and Dindo to stay as long as they wish. Kalu demurs to speak of his escape uh, from Duladel and whispers of rebelling against the king to protect Aralon from suffering the same fate as Duladel. Royal invites Kalu to meet at Keyine's house. Raiden smears some brown makeup on a cloth and tells uh, Galadon that it is for an unhoped-for contingency. This book's dumb. Royal meets a guy, and he's like, Hey, I like your gumption, kid. Why don't you come to my treason meeting? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to town. Got any treason? <laughs> but also, it was Rayadin. Yeah. So it was a great decision. He, it was a great decision. Uh-huh. Rayadin is asking... Galadon in this scene, like, how was I? How did I do as, like, a caricature of your culture? And getting, like, tips. I I think the discussion that is in this chapter about why he specifically chose to imitate a Duladin, like, a Duladin noble, but because the they're, like, nominally a republic or whatever, it's a Duladin citizen. Anyway, uh, it felt like, because, like, last episode we were like, Wow, Rayadin is doing brownface, and now it feels like Brandon is like sitting sitting us down and being like, "Look, he had to do brownface. That was his only <laughs> choice." <laughs> there was simply nothing that could possibly have been done except brownface. I wrote a setting where there's only two nations that speak this language, mm-hmm. aside from Duladel, and he just has to do the brownface. Yeah. I I hate it too because I hate that the whole time he was in Elantris the whole time that he's in Elantris he's lying to Serene and to everyone about who he is. Mm-hmm. And the moment that he gets out of Elantris he's like I'm trying desperately to tell Serene who I am and she just won't listen. Motherfucker, you had weeks to do this. Yeah. But he's not telling her who he is, parentheses, Rayadin. He's, parentheses, spirit, like, Rayadin pretending to be spirit. He's tell, trying to tell Serene who he is when he's, Rayadin pretending to be spirit, pretending to be Kalu. But he only wants to tell her about... One layer of the of, fiction. About spirit pretending to be Kalu, not about Rayadin pretending to be spirit, pretending to be Kalu. It's very dumb. This is a dumb book. I, I don't really understand, like, what his goal is as Kalu. Because, I mean, obviously what he is doing is, like, infiltrating the nobility and, like, ultimately trying to infiltrate these secret meetings. Um, but, like... it Basically, I don't understand why in this... Um, 
basically stealth mission. He is choosing to play this like incredibly attention grabbing role. Um, and like, it does work out. He does get invited to the secret meetings, but as we said, that seems really foolish on Royal's part. Um, and it feels like, I don't know. I just feel like he would have had an easier time accomplishing some of the things that he wants to accomplish if he had just been like an anonymous Aralene, like a common person, you know? Um, yeah. But I think this book just can't think about people who aren't nobles. Yeah. Um, there's... Why... If he showed up and said, Hi, I'm Rayadin... <laughs> Mm-hmm. He skips two chapters. Yeah. Yes. I, yes. Let's. I want to talk about that when we get to the chapter where he actually does that. But I. I fully agree. Mm-hmm. I'm maybe done talking about chapter fifty-two. Um, like the the it's meat. A short of, one. The meat of this is the Serini chapter, and so yeah. we even cut back to Rayadin very briefly in the Serini chapter. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, chapter 53, I guess. Okay, uh, chapter 53. Kalu attends a meeting of Serini's noble circle at Kian's house to her chagrin. They discuss various options for dealing with Tellery, including foreign aid from Teod and rebels in Duladel. Kalu suggests turning the nobles and people against the king rather than assassinating him. Serini realizes that Kalu is spirit and confronts him in private, where he admits this guise but asks her to maintain it. Spirit tells Serini that her information about Aeons helped him get Aeondor to work again partially, though his transformation is still incomplete. Spirit compliments Serini on her work in the meetings and tells her there is something more he needs to share at a later time. The meeting resumes and Royal speaks of assassins that he has hired from Fjordan to kill the king. Ahan, who left briefly, claiming an upset stomach, returns with Tellery and some guards. Ahan states that he has finally gotten the better of Royal. Tellery has Royal killed for treason and orders the assassins found and killed and the rest of the nobles killed as well. Spirit drops one of his illusion disguises and now appears as Rayadin, causing the guards to hesitate. Tellery is confused by Rayadin's sudden reappearance and flees along with his guards. Rayadin tries to heal Royal's wounds but fails and the duke passes away. The nobles welcome Raiden back. This summary skips over the part where Raiden is like, "Would you kill me, your true king?" And everyone like, you know, is like, "My liege," <laughs> you know, and, and is like Tell- suddenly reverent for. Tellry is so shocked that he flees with all of his armed men. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Question. Why did Tellry come here? Personally? He's the king! <laughs> yeah! You don't bring the mayor to an arrest! <laughs> yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Everything, like, there's so much, you know, plot stuff happening in this chapter, and it certainly feels like, oh, this is the end of a section, finally Raiden has revealed his identity and returned as the true king! But, like, the the plot twists in this chapter feels so weird and thin. Like, this thing where Ahan, like, betrays all of them, basically because he has this, like friendly business rivalry with royal like that's been seeded there's been discussion like that 
very yeah. early on in the book. It hasn't really come up much yeah. recently, but there was talk about like, oh, Ahan and Royal have always been trying to outdo each other. Um, and it was always presented as like a, like I said, a friendly rivalry because in a, as, at the same time as they had this rivalry, they were also working together on a treason plan. Uh, but now all of a sudden, Ahan has decided that um, his need to get one over on Royal is more important than his dedication to this scheme that he's been dealing with, that he's been plotting alongside for months. And then it, when it, he gets killed, he's like shocked. And it's like, dude, treason. <laughs> it, he implies that he's been trying to sell out this group for a long time, but Eodon never believed him. Which is ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. And then he's um, shocked that the king would kill the person who wants to kill the king. I. When he was telling Eodon, or trying to tell Eodon about this, do you think he told Eodon that Rayadin was in on this group? Because Rayadin used to be in on this no. group. <sighs> I wouldn't I'm... if I were the if I were, if I were snitching on the prince's like treason meetings, the prince that everyone else loves. But like, I would probably not. I I guess what I'm saying is I I, I do get the idea that like uh, snitching on Raiden maybe isn't the best idea. But like, if I were Han and I was trying to convince Iadon that the treason is real and dangerous, like Iadon has this whole conflict with Raiden. Like, it doesn't seem like it would be that yeah. hard to be like, uh, you know, my king. Uh, what you thought was mere like impetuousness in your son is actually like real opposition. Um, but no. What? Maybe. And maybe what happened was he was on board when Raiden was in charge, but once, like, Royale was in charge, he's like, nah, I'm done with this. Mm. Maybe? I, I don't know. So it's fucking paper thin. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Ahan. As we are reminded <laughs> three times in this his, chapter. He shook his jowl. <laughs> I know. God. Yeah. In any other book, the scene where Rayadin reveals himself would be so cool. It would be hype. It would I I did get excited for a second. I was like, "Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I got excited about." I did not get excited about him revealing himself. The thing that I got excited about was so he gets, he pulls Serenia aside, and he's like, um, I'm spirit. And she's like, oh my god. And, you know, and then he, like, hints that he's Raiden and winks at her. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This is, like, a fun dynamic that's happening here. Um, where, like, she's gonna know by the end of this scene, but she just doesn't know yet. Um, it still makes Serene seem dumb as shit, but, you know, whatever. Um, setting that aside. You know she's clever because she's almost got it. It's on the tip of her tongue. She just doesn't quite know what's happening. I, I, that was exciting, and then, like, I don't know, like, just a bunch of bullshit, like, interrupts, you know, anything I was kind of interested in. Um... Yeah. So, there's... also, like this book is almost over, and we just now got to the part where, like, we got nine chapters left. We got nine chapters left. Oh Three more my episodes god! Wow, we really are close to the end of this freaking book. <laughs> um, 
So, Royale hired assassins. Yes. But Telry has assassins, too. They're the guard. Yes. So they're going to go find the assassins and throw them off of Elantris' walls. But they don't do that because they get scared of zombie prince. How, like, how are they planning on... I guess what I'm saying is, if I were a a Fjordal assassin, we should mention, they're Fjordal assassins. Um, Supposedly ones who are, you know, not not, not loyal to their, like, faith and country, but... um, and presumably these guys were, like, trained in one of those fucked up monasteries or something. Um, yeah. Anyway, they... I find the idea that these, like, city guards... Who we've been explicitly told often before that these city guards are, like, kind of kind of mid. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're not, they're not amazing at their jobs because, like... There's been this weird thing where, like, Eodon doesn't want, like, an army. He doesn't want, like, armed men. Um, and so, like, the ones that he has to have are, are just kind of, like, I don't know. They always kind of seemed like uh, they didn't really do very much to me. Um, and they're just going to, like, track down and definitely kill these, like, trained, like, monk assassins. Like, I I don't think that's going to work out. Uh, I think those guys are going to hide. <laughs> Also, but also, here's the thing. You're Telri. You've been led to this traitorous group. You've killed the leader, or one of the leaders. And suddenly, the prince is back. He's here, in the room. And he... You thought he was dead. Mm -hmm. You have, like, 12 guys with swords. Mm -hmm. They have... A guy with a dueling saber. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. Just kill Rayanin right now. I know. I know. <laughs> Just kill him, and no one knows that he was actually alive. And that's. I was literally about to say exactly this. Like, you could just kill him right now, and just be like. Well, that was fucking weird. Either it was an imposter, or it was him. Either way, problem solved. Oh, weird. Now that he's. Wait, he's not dying. <laughs> yeah, that would have been super cool, because then he, he could have just, like, fucking stepped forward on the sword, gritting his teeth against the pain or some bullshit like that, right? Uh, yeah. Because yeah. this would be the thing. I, and he the, would the, say, like, I'm the spirit of Elantris. The, 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 um, like, my kingliness makes it easier for me to ignore my wounds. Um, All this kingliness makes it difficult to concentrate on cracking. <laughs> Fuck up. Jesus Shut the Christ. Fuck up. <laughs> okay, I do have like a stupid theory for why uh why Tellery doesn't kill um Raiden here, which is I think that his men are not I think his men are actually still kind of loyal to uh Raiden. Like they love him just like everybody yeah. loved Raiden. Like there's that line, you know, he says to the um to the guards, Would you dare slay the true king of Aralon? And then the guard members stepped back, faces confused and frightened. So, like, they've lost their nerve. They, they're not willing to kill him in this moment. And Telri realizes that that's the case and, like, that he has to run. So I, I think that's what we're meant to believe here, but I agree that it's... I wish it was more effectively communicated, because it makes it sound... 
It just makes it sound like Tellery got freaked out, <laughs> and not that like he knew that he was in a losing situation. Tellery yes. goes, it, a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a a Tellery has lost his authority. He's not going to be king for very long. Raiden is going to take the throne. Um, uh-huh. And the way well, that... he's not going to be king for very long. Well, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> what? What? I was just making a joke. That's all. Right, but sorry, it sounded like it was a reference to something, and I couldn't. Anyway, uh, no, my reference bad. to the next chapter. Well, oh, okay. Well then, <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all it was. Was just a reference to the next chapter. I Sorry. See. Yeah, no, no, no. I got you. Um, yeah, and it just—I don't know. Um, as we were saying, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it's stupid. The book is bad. I hate it. There's another thing that doesn't make any sense in the next chapter. Yeah. You want to keep going? Yeah. Do we want to talk about the healing? Or failure, failure of healing? Is that interesting to any of us? I, I, I thought it was a little contrived, because supposedly, like, Raiden has spent, like, months practicing this, and... He never ran to the healing modifiers. I guess, like, I could kind of... I can kind of forgive it if it's like, oh, um, I don't know how it works with the new way that Aeons work, um... Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know. I thought this was dumb. Chapter 54. Raithen receives reports that Royal has been executed for treason without a trial, and rumors that Raiden has returned, though he believes that Serene is using a look-alike to try and play for the throne. Raithen goes to confront Tellery, but is made to wait. He then witnesses as Andel's guards launch an attack on the throne room, and Andel slays Tellery in revenge for Royal before succumbing to his own wounds. I will give Hraithan some credit. Thinking that Serini has found an imposter is I, fairly reasonable, I think. I just... Why has no one, even once, considered the idea that a person would be called dead, but actually be Elantrian? It's clearly a cultural practice. It's clearly like an unspoken taboo... That sometimes when somebody gets taken by the Sheod, you just pretend that they're dead. Mm-hmm. And I understand that Hraithen, being from outside of this city, might not know that. But he made two fake Elantrians, and he can't think of the reverse. <laughs> he can't put together the opposite of that, of like fake dead, mm-hmm. actually Elantrian. Like, this is not, like, the most clever ploy. You, It's just an embarrassment. It's, yeah. like, saving face. Because this is, like, in case we forgot, because it doesn't really come up, but, like, being a Lantrian is considered damnation, like, in, in a religious sense. Mm-hmm. Not that that really matters to any character in this book, except, you know, kind of deal off. But... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, 
Harithan just kind of walks through the action scene, and it says that he avoided or smashed blades out of people's hands, but he's not wearing his armor in the scene for some reason. So he definitely is using some sick monk tricks to, like, knock swords out of people's hands. I really kind of had a hard time understanding what was happening in this chapter. Like, this, the the action was just very not clear to me what was going on. It does not help that uh, 54 chapters in, I still cannot remember character names. Like, I still have to remind myself, okay, Eondel is... The sword guy. The sword uncle. Yeah. <laughs> like, every time, every time. This I... does have the best little scene of the book so far, mm -hmm. where he sends the guard in to ask a question... When the guard comes back out, it's a different person who then attacks the first guard. Mm. That's just a cool thing to visualize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, short chapter, not much to say, except nobody... It, this is like the nobody looks up. Like, nobody ever thinks mm -hmm. that somebody could lie <laughs> right. about being dead or Elantrian. Yeah. Well, and also, like, um, um, this chapter doesn't even give you good Hraithan stuff, and it tries to. It, it, it like, ends on, like, Hraithan's hope for a bloodless revolution were not to come to pass or But whatever. it was, it's, like, sarcastic. Yeah. He's like, well, I guess we're not doing this that way. Yeah. I mean, the audiobook narrator seemed very solemn about it, but, um. It's so fast-paced that I couldn't read it that way. Yeah. I think it's very weird that um, this death of a king feels like... I mean, okay, Telri is the guy that, like, uh, Hraithan was working with, so I understand that it's, like, a bigger problem for his goals. Um, but it feels like there's a certain sense in which it's like, ah, now there's blood. But it's like, what? Do you remember what happened with Eodon? Like, uh... Well, no, he didn't get cut, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> like... This... This book... It's like 12 chapters ago, had the king be revealed to be sacrificing young women as part of a secret cult to, like, foreign gods. And that didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't fine. matter. Everyone forgot about it. This is such a stupid book. Because in any other book, that would be the coolest thing that ever happened. But no, it didn't matter. Yeah, and like... This, by the way, also kind of ties in for me with something that we didn't talk a ton about in the last chapter, but that, like, they're talking about what they're gonna do to deal with Tellery, and the idea of, like, well, perhaps we could, in some way, ally with the common people of this realm comes up as an idea, but it's, like, immediately dismissed, and, <sighs> like, the, like, you know, I know that all three of us are, like, into the idea of, like, revolution. Um, and mm -hmm. But I'm not just trying to, like, I think it's a little obnoxious when people are reading books and they're like, well, why didn't the characters simply do a communist revolution? I, as a communist, think that should always happen <laughs> in books. And that's obnoxious. But the idea of, like, some kind of people's uprising has been talked about and talked about and talked about in this book. And the way it's always been talked about is that would be so horrible and violent. We can't allow that to happen. And it's like right. that, like, there is obviously going to be some kind of war 
So the idea that, like, what we fundamentally need the most is to avoid, like, the wild violence of the mob is just so frustrating. Um, if, it, if people can't be, like, trusted to enact their will collectively, how can they be trusted to enact their will individually? It, well, and it makes the book about a group of, like, aristocrats who are deluding themselves into thinking <laughs> there won't be a war. Um, but the book isn't about that. Like, it, like... What's this book about? Literally, literally <laughs> like, both sides of the conflict, like, the Sereni side and the Hraithan side, are, like, two people deluding themselves into thinking that their warlike actions will not lead to war. But the book doesn't know that, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think that this book really does believe that the best way to accomplish, like, a change in government in a country is to kill exactly one person. Kill the king, if you absolutely have to. Ideally, really, you should put him in prison. And then, like, uh, change... Not even change the laws. Uh, find a trick within the pre-existing laws of the country that puts you in charge. <laughs> Um, yes. and, and like, I don't know how things are actually going to resolve with this. Although obviously Raid and Serene are going to be king and queen. Like, duh. Um, yeah. but like, yeah, it's just a very frustrating idea of like how social change happens. Well, and they don't even like, I don't even feel like the book is playing with like, it could be doing something interesting where it's like, well, like Raid and Raiden and Serene have a common goal, which is to, like, change the government of this country without much bloodshed. Like, they have that. It's just that they, like, don't agree on, like, what the, you know, change needs to be. I think you could do, like, some interesting, like, like themes or character stuff or anything with that at all, but, like, that's just not what this book is. This book just stuff happens constantly, but also nothing happens. I, I will say that for the first, like, 20 chapters, nothing happened. Stuff has been happening ever since. Yep. Yeah. It, but sometimes it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Like, the king was part of a secret uh, sacrifice young women cult, and it didn't matter. Yeah. It mattered insofar as he dies, and then there's a different conflict. Yeah. But that's done. That conflict is done. Yeah. Also, Eodon maybe wasn't so bad after all, because he wanted to change the... St he actually was really smart, because he was planning on rolling changing the structure of the nobility. I'm rolling my eyes. Uh, hold on. Somebody's One knocking fact. on our door. It's the guards! They're here to arrest you for treason! Hi, we're back. <laughs> Hi again. I was worried that that was going to be something more serious. Just like, a... hey, we need to talk about the lace. <laughs> I, I don't think you two heard, but I made a very clever joke. Oh, no, I didn't hear it at all. I said it was the guards coming to arrest you for treason. <laughs> <laughs> it's treason, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally fucked up that headphone. It's fine. I Like I say, I have the warranty on them. It'll, I'll sort it out. Um, <clears throat> anyway, book dumb. Book dumb. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I have that much. I was to say. yeah. I was conveniently getting to the end of what I had to say about this chapter. 
I I know we're going to talk about the annotations later. Uh-huh. I do want to pull out one sentence. Mm-hmm. Which is... Uh, the phrase, as I stated in earlier annotations, I wanted this book's conflict to be non-violence focused. What? <laughs> yeah. That's right. And then the rest of this is talking about Mistborn more than Elantris, but... Um, I am also often talking about Elantris, <laughs> Mistborn more than Elantris. <laughs> I also am finding myself bringing up Mistborn at any given occasion. Mm-hmm. It's like... Regardless. God, you know what that kind of makes me think about? Is like... People who play D&D, but are like, well, you can totally have a version of D&D that isn't just about, like, killing everything you come across, because there's, like, the diplomacy skill, or whatever. And it's like, yes, you can technically use this game system to do things that are not actually violence. And yes, you can technically find a way for Serene and Raiden to achieve the thing they want without actually having to fight a war. But you are, like, straining against the things that your, like, your game system or your story structure is obviously pointing towards. Like, there are stories you can tell that are not violent at all. Like, Pride and Prejudice. There's, (laughs) like, I mean, okay, you could argue because, um... The, there is, like, actually a very weird thing where, like, the, the money that Darcy has uh, ultimately comes from, like, slave estates overseas. So that's obviously a form of violence. But, like, in terms of the things the characters do in the narrative, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. not violence in that story. But, like, mm-hmm. Brandon does like to write about violence because Brandon likes to write heroic fantasy narratives. And, like, I don't know. Uh, hopefully in later books he will just, like, admit that to himself. Um Certainly the way of well, kings is very violent. That's yes. that's what this annotation ends with uh with um it says something that after working so long on Elantris, I promptly went and made my next heroine from Mistborn an assassin herself. So <laughs> like good. I, yeah. I I don't I'm not trying to say like every book should be violent, but I think that the genre that uh the the genre and the kind of narrative ideas that Brandon is interested in working with are in many ways about violence and, you know, about, like, war and about, like, large-scale social change and people who solve their problems with force. And so trying to make a book where he somehow makes that not be the thing that it's about, it just feels like he is, I don't know, denying himself something that he obviously is interested in and wants for no good reason. I don't know why a Mormon would ever do that. (laughs) <laughs> i just it this does make sense why uh aeondor is so um boring as a magic system <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that he doesn't want it to shoot lightning yeah <laughs> i mean it did shoot a fireball that did happen um yeah but that was like yeah. whatever no i, was, I agree i was going to make a crude joke we don't need to <laughs> Um, Elantris, Act 2, done. The Spirit of Elantris, Part 3. Yeah. Um, we got, okay, um, we should probably wrap this up pretty soon, but, um, so we've got nine more chapters of Elantris, which is three more episodes, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. As we said before, send your emails to 
believe ArsArcanumPodcast at gmail.com or yep. ExportAudioPodcast at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, we want to read emails. Yes. We want questions. We want observations. We want ship posts. We want shipping. Uh, okay. How would you do shipping in this novel? I don't like that idea uh, very much. Primarily boats, but caravans would uh, would be involved as well. Oh, Christ. Anyway, so we have three more chapters of this, or three more episodes, episodes of this. Yeah. Um. I know we talked about doing a bonus Patreon episode about the annotations. Um, there is the short story that comes out right after this. Um, is there any other... Like, we're pretty near to the end of... Is there anything else we would need to record? Um, basically. I guess Just, I, I did want to ask, like, are we thinking about doing the listener questions... On our last episode, where we also do the last three chapters, or do we want to do those on the patron-only annotations episode, or what's the thought? I was thinking of doing it at, on the at the same time as the last three chapters, and just wrap everything up and like take the questions. That's what also what I was thinking because also I was texting Grace yesterday about like, hey, do you want to be on for the last three chapters plus the uh, Q and A stuff? All right. Um, so works for me. Hell yeah. Yeah. Grace read this book months ago. Grace read this book months ago. Because <laughs> I think after like the first or second episode, she was just like, I'm just going to read the book. I'm not, I'm not going to like read along with them. I'm just she did warn book. us. She said some, some wild shit was going to happen later on at the end. So um, that has happened. Brandon's got nine chapters to really like kick this shit into overdrive. And I f I'm a little yeah. concerned because I feel like these chapters on this episode were kind of meant to be that, and, and they're not making They were meant to be that, because in, also in the annotation for chapter 52 or 53, he says, I hereby dub this the beginning of the Brandon Avalanche. Let because the rejoicing begin. That's because he's done three annotations for chapter 53. Oh, okay. Oh, that's so, like, uh, that's frustrating because he's, like, describing a real thing in his books that is real and people like and is good like the brandon yes. avalanche i guess is a thing but like that's so self-congratulatory about it oh yeah. my the god the thing is, is that this, this is a blog post from 2006 right. mistborn 2 isn't out yet right like i we'll get there i like i was gonna be like i feel like the first real big brandon avalanche is in blah 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 but like we'll fucking get there it was not in 2006 i don't feel like but that's neither here nor there. Was Elantris 2005? Elantris yeah. was 2005, I believe. No, Mistborn was 2005. Hold on. I guess I'll, I just want to double check one thing. Elantris, 2005. Okay. April 2005, which means that there was no fandom that was celebrating the Brandon Avalanche back then. <laughs> My point being that Mistborn is the first post-Revenge of the Sith Brandon book. <laughs> Why does that matter? <laughs> because I think that if Brandon had seen Revenge of the Sith before writing Elantris, he might have got, like, some ideas. What <laughs> are you talking about? I, I think it would have helped. Do you just believe that Revenge of the Sith is like a... Like a panacea. Like any artist, when they see Revenge of the Sith, it will in some way improve their art. I think that when you watch 
Revenge of the Sith. It will give you I have watched your, your Nora, thing. I watched Revenge of the Sith and it it actually was like a huge thing for me, although for because it was the first Star Wars I had ever seen and I watched it in theaters and it was also like the first time I'd really experienced like a tragic narrative. So like it did blow my mind, but I don't really think that that can necessarily be fully chalked up to its merits. Um <laughs> I think you could also, like, before Revenge of the Sith was out, you could just read Shakespeare. I'm fairly certain no, 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 Brandon no, no. did I, that. I think that if William Shakespeare had seen Revenge of the Sith, he would have gotten some ideas. Okay, so yes, you do believe that Revenge of the Sith should just be doled out to every artist, just to see what happens. Just to see what happens. I think if Shakespeare... I think No, if that's I, nice. That's nice, Billy. But I think <laughs> if I showed William Shakespeare Revenge of the Sith, he would say, it's a bit derivative, isn't it? I think he'd be minute. like, holy oh, shit, this? a moving image. <laughs> oh, the, God, the shit is coming right at me. <laughs> and then he would say, this R2 motherfucker, he's stone cold. No. <laughs> Shakespeare would see Natalie Portman and say, wow, the, the, the makeup got really good. It's almost like there's a woman on stage. We need to get out of this podcast. <laughs> Mark, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me online at Char Aznablent on Twitter, and you can find my other podcast, Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, which is about Moby Dick. At abnormalmapping.com slash whale. Uh, we are so close to the uh, orgy scene. I'm very excited for that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Nora? Autumn? Okay. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find all my other podcasts at exportodd.io. Uh, you can get access to most of the podcasts by giving us a dollar a month. Or you can get early access to, by giving us a dollar a month. You can talk about the podcasts in the Abnormal Mapping Discord and the Export Chat channel. And you should listen to uh, Ornate Stairwells. It's a movie podcast I do that's very dumb. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. Find stuff I do at norablake.online. If you're listening to this, you might have access to Back to the Ark, a Marvel Hornets podcast I do with Olivia. It's patron exclusive at exportod.io. Uh, it comes out twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday, every week. Uh, back to the Ark. It's fast, it's furious, and it's, it's friendly. Like, it's like 10-minute episodes. No, it's not. It's not even that long? No. Okay. I would call it four to eight-minute episodes, okay. depending. Okay. I would say average six. Okay. Uh, it's that fun. Is halfway between four and eight, so. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Math Degree. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Math Degree now. Yeah, thank you. Um, that just came out. I've heard that some people are enjoying it. Um, and there's lots of other stuff, too. The podcasts that I edit generally don't go up early on the Patreon because I don't remember it. But that's mostly just... Um, I guess that's just War in Our Stars, mm-hmm. really. That one doesn't come out early, but inattention to us. But that's I don't Olivia edit, edit that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I put that up when Olivia sends it to me. Anyway, let's get out of here. Okay. Uh, thank you, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs>